Hi everyone and welcome to the Alias Edit Podcast. Myself, Laura, and my wonderful co-host Adam. Hi, Adam. Hi, Laura, you alright? Yes, thank you. Are you? Yeah, not too bad, thank you. Back into the swing of things after the, you know, break. Yeah, yeah, you can come back with a bang, don't you? Like, you know, it's nice to have a couple of weeks off and then uh, suddenly it's like nothing's changed. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, so this week we're going to be talking about the Flourish model, which is something that you shared with me and we thought would be a great uh, podcast episode. So I will let you um, tell everyone what it's all about. Uh, yeah, thanks. Yeah, yeah. So it's something I uh, came across a couple of months ago. I think I saw an article on uh, Early's Educate, which was sharing a um, guidebook that's been made by Montessori Europe about just about the UN Sustainable Goals and how you can, like ideas of how you can help embed them in early years um, and little activities and things that you can do to help the children understand them on a, you know, on a sort of quite basic level. And that was uh, partnered with the Flourish Project, which uh, and it's obviously called the Flourish Project, the Ecology of Wellbeing. And obviously that, uh, that title interested me and I wanted to have a little bit more of a look into it. Um, and it is obviously quite a, quite a detailed piece of, you know, piece of research and an idea of, of how we could help you know society flourish i suppose um so obviously yeah like you say we, we thought it'd be something that'd be interesting to talk about because it does specifically relate to you know a, a lot of it relates specifically to early early childhood i think it describes it as which for the purpose of yeah. the model is classed as birth to eight um yeah because obviously it is much wider although it specifically looks at early years it is also much wider isn't it and looks at things like care homes and how other um, areas of society can embed this model um and i just think that just so that everybody has a complete understanding at the start i did just want to read out that its mission statement so its mission is to promote systematic scalable change in partnership with others by changing narratives attitudes and behaviors which will result in enhanced human health and well-being and a flourishing planet so as we said, although it um, relates to early years, it isn't just specific to early years and it has this wider idea that um, we should be creating, you know, a planet that is flourishing. Um, so it is interesting. It's big, but it's interesting. Yeah, yeah, like you say, it, it's quite large in scope, isn't it? But I think I, I like that, obviously, the, the whole thing about early years and education and society really is helping people and, and things flourish, isn't it? So I think that's what caught my attention straight was, was sort of that idea of uh, of enabling, you know, people and, and ev- the planet and everything to flourish and also the idea of well-being as well because obviously it's something that is really important that, that, that we focus on not just for the children but for us as well. You know, I've mentioned before, you know to you to people on social media more generally that that's something where i fall down into on a personal level is, is looking at you know how i can support my own well-being and help myself i suppose in in a way to you know flourish obviously we concentrate on the children all the time and, and how we can do that but i think yeah. it's important to look internally as well yeah definitely um and that's one of the things that I found interesting about it because um, I'll go into more detail about this later, but myself and my team, my management team, we um, at our sort of weekly management meeting, I said, oh, Adam showed me this, you know, um, project that's going on and uh, told them about the model. And we discussed how we can use the model for um 
practitioners and for staff well-being um but obviously i'll go into that in more detail later because there's a little bit more to explain isn't there because it says that there are seven human needs that we need to nurture um and those are growth contribution fulfillment engagement independence relationship and security so um it's simplified even further into sort of four groups so um it says that we need to nurture children's spiritual mental emotional and physical needs and those seven areas come under those four sort of umbrellas um and i do think that you know within early years when i was reading it it didn't feel like anything completely new within an early year sense obviously the wider scope of it feels new but the actual um sort of areas it was saying that we need to nurture do you feel like something that we already do nurture within the uifs would you agree yeah yeah i agree with you like i said that you know the the idea of, of supporting children to flourish is, is a big thing in early years isn't it and obviously when you know when you talk about what those seven areas are and even the you know the four larger areas it is something that we really do focus on because obviously the idea of the beauty of early years is that you're focusing on you know the individual child and how you're supporting them in every area and because the focus isn't so much as it is in wider education on just hammering home you know academic things that the children need to learn and just knowledge 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 all the time in terms of for future you know for the testing and, and that kind of thing I think it does provide us with the opportunity to to focus more on the children as a whole um, and I think that it's something that you know it is is interesting because if it starts in early years more in a school sense I think than maybe maybe in a in a private nursery kind of sense but if it starts in in something that's embedded in early years in a school then it's something that might transcend through the education system as the children get older yeah definitely and i think that what's what's really good about the um obviously there's lots of stuff online and we will be signposting you but it does really simplify i feel like when we're talking about these seven areas it's hard to keep up really simplified in nice little sort of um, infographs isn't it in the um, documents that we've been looking at um, and I think that obviously during we've you know had a pandemic a global pandemic and mental health is becoming more and more at the forefront and I feel like this is a really good way of looking at mental health as you say in a holistic way um, so not just mental health Obviously, there's lots of things we understand about mental health. So there might be things like we know that there might be heightened anxiety. Um, but just because somebody doesn't have, you know, diagnosis of anxiety or depression or anything along mental health lines doesn't mean that they don't need to nurture their mental health Um which is something that, again, on a personal level, I'm finding more and more. So I wouldn't say that I suffer with a mental health condition or I, I don't know if I'm sick butchering this. I'm trying to be like correct on how I say it. I'm not saying it's a condition, um, but I don't suffer with my mental health personally. I'm very lucky in that sense. But I do have to nurture my mental health. I do have lows and I do have times where um, I know that I'm putting too much effort into one area of my life. And then because that means there's a lack in another area, um, that's obviously a detriment. So um, 
I think that the way that it's set out, sorry, I went round in a massive loop then, didn't I? but the way that it's set out is really easy to understand. And it's about the fact that, you know, we need to support the physical side of things need to be supported as much as the emotional side, as much as the spiritual side. So I think me and you are similar in that we have, can be very highly focused on career. So early years is our passion. We put a lot of effort into, um, you know, that area of our lives but for me that means that I then it's to the detriment of let's say my physical needs you know that need to go out in nature and have a little walk around because I'll be just sat sat at a computer researching things rather than doing that so um I just think it's very interesting that way that it's looking like you say more holistically yeah like you say I'm exactly the same as you you know I spend a lot of my time sort of focusing on on early years and work and all that kind of thing and it can be very hard to to find that time for you, you to that you need for your well-being, and I think it's something that, like you say, everyone's becoming more aware of. As, as you know, I'm not going to say the pandemic comes to an end because we have no idea what's going to happen tomorrow. But you know, as as we move through, people, you know, uh, uh, everyone's starting to focus a little bit more on on their own mental health and their own well-being and tr- and trying to enjoy, you know, in, enjoy life, I suppose, a little bit more, you know, rather than everything being, like you say, so so focused on one thing because something does fall by the wayside. That That is just, unfortunately, how it is. You know, we're human and we can't do everything. And I think it is a really, really interesting way of helping to support people to do that. Um, and like you say, the, the infographics are really, really helpful. And obviously we will, like you've alluded to, uh, we'll signpost that everywhere for people to go and have a look at and maybe when either they're listening to it or they've ju- just listened to the podcast, it might be helpful ju- for them just to go and have a look at, uh, at the ones that, that really do break down what the human needs are and what each one means um, and how you can support that. Because obviously it, it focuses on how you could support that both with children and also with adults and then also like with the community more widely, they're sort of like separate separate parts within it um, because like you say, it's so, so big in scope and it isn't just focused on supporting children it really does want to sort of try and help make uh, quite a societal change to how we all think about absolutely every aspect of our lives you know obviously the children but also ourselves and and how we engage with society as well yeah and I think that I mean the whole idea of the project is brilliant and it's very idealistic to me um which you know, I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but there's only so much scope we have as early years practitioners to embed this. And I feel like, like I say, within early years, it isn't really anything new to, you know, create children that are independent and that, you know, um, love themselves for who they are and their individuality. Um, Well, obviously, if they're then going into a home or a community where that isn't embedded, this is why through you know life um we don't then continue to have that sense you know it, children in early years are so confident aren't the majority of them um and they do think that the la- the world is like you know they're oyster and they're interested in things um but obviously it deteriorates over time and then it, and then it's like where do we begin is it our job to then give the parents these seven, you know, meet the needs of the parents' seven needs? Does that make sense? Or, yeah. you know, how would that happen in reality? Yeah, it does make sense. And I think, right, 
like you say, it, it's hard because obviously uh, we can we only you know impact a you know a, a short period of the children's lives and the children's sort of education. But on the other hand, I think if we can you know if children can understand right at the, you know the beginning of the lives, as it mentions here, you know what what children learn in their earliest years form a huge amount of, of what they think as as they grow up and as they move forward. And if you can somehow try and help children to understand that, that, that this should be the norm and that this should be the way that they're treated and this should be how they feel about themselves and this should be what, what they strive for, then hopefully it will, will make that impact. And, yeah, I think, obviously, uh, with parents, it's it's trying to sort of explain to parents what you want beyond the what the parents see in terms of, you know, what, what they've done on tapestry or, or, or you know, what, what they've done in the setting in the day and what you are actually wanting the children to to become. And I think that's a big thing for me, you know, in terms of like where your vision or your mission statement or whatever you describe it, however you want to put across what you want children to be and what you want them to achieve when you leave, you know, when they move on from your setting about trying to get parents to understand, understand that. But like you say, it's about, about the child holistically. It's about them all, you know, a huge thing for me is I want the children to be kind, you know, I, I want my, the, the children that leave me on top on, you know, as much as, as important as everything else is that, that they will learn in a, uh, while they're in my setting. I want them to, be kind empathetic you know and understanding people when they leave and I think it's about trying to convey that to parents as well and like you say this might be a way of of obviously not giving them the whole whole document to read because you know it's like war and peace but to (laughs) give them you know a a more concise version in in a sense of your you know your vision your ethos whatever you want it to be yeah and I think that when we talked about a couple of episodes ago we talked about curriculum didn't we and we looked at different ideas around curriculum and I did think that oh maybe this could be a curriculum because it's not setting out you know exactly what you want a child to learn in the sense of academic learning so by the end of the you know the nursery year they will as we discussed then be able to bake a cake but it's about by the end of by leaving nursery they will um you know have learned that they are enough that they you know as a person are enough and that they can impact on other people's feelings in that way so it could be an interesting concept for a curriculum um making those the foundations of what you want children to learn and through you know a lot of the it breaks down the seven needs even further doesn't it and explains a little bit about what it means by the seven needs um so for example it says growth in what and and then it says in what ways am I currently supporting my own growth my inner development slash my spirituality and I think that within early years looking at from a child's point of view you know we know that we are supporting their growth by providing open-ended environments by providing them with the resources that they need to you know explore what they want to explore at their level um 
So it could be a great way of building a curriculum. Just as another example, it says, um, you know, contribution. Do I currently feel that my voice and opinions matter and that I'm being listened to? Um, and again, obviously, within the early years, the child's voice is really important to us um, and giving them that understanding that they do have choice and that they can, you know, they should be heard. So, yeah, I thought that that was quite interesting to look at it that way as a way of, you know, creating a curriculum around these seven needs that will then, according to this, you know, project, will help them to flourish and be flourishing adults, hopefully. Yeah, and the same as you, you know, when I first came across it, I thought straight away about how we could embed it in, in a curriculum and, and how it would how it would work from that point of view and, you know, how 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 it can how it can impact your setting beyond you know what what we usually do and how you can use it to support and to justify what you do in your setting as well you know when that you know when that time comes whoever you justify that to and i think it, it it's about helping to you know it wants to build upon the needs of the children that are met you know that and how how we do that and then also might say the questions are an interesting way for us to think about it and also then there's the little statements for the children as well isn't there about you know how they like one of the independents what is i am enough isn't it and and relationship mm, yeah. one I, i'm loved enough that, that you know that you've flagged up yeah that idea of how we how on a very basic level you can help the children so then you can build a curriculum around around that statement and and how you can help them to support that and the activities that you can provide and the opportunities that you can provide for children to to feel that a little bit more um like you say I, I, go on sorry i was just gonna say adding on to that as well what i quite like about it is I feel that, you know, within our jobs as practitioners or managers uh, within the early years, we have so much to contend with. It's like, you know, you're being pulled from here, there and everywhere. And what I quite liked is because there's sort of these seven focuses, I felt like it really focused me to understand what the important things are. So one of them is security and it's about... Um, do children feel safe and secure? And it made me think that, you know, obviously at nursery they feel safe and secure, but do they feel safe and secure at home? And if they don't, then I feel like that is one of those really important areas that we should be um, you know, focusing on. Because, you know, when you think about things like you start you've got to follow like the UIFS and then next thing they like bringing out health eating guidelines. Obviously I know health eating is important, but is my time best spent arguing with parents over putting a packet of crisps in the child's lunchbox or supporting a parent who genuinely does not have a safe environment for their children to go home to? So I feel like it gave me a bit of perspective in that sense. Yeah, health eating is important and I get that because it's all about physical, you know, well-being. But, you know, do I need to be really getting irate about that when I could be spending that time supporting somebody who really has this need? Yeah, I mean, early years, we're like, you know, have to be the world's greatest plate spinners, don't we? Because the whole the whole concept is all the time, like you say, they're just going more and more at you. That is, you know, it's not just an early years in education, but that is our responsibility. And there's more things that we're responsible for, both for the children and the families. And and this, like you say, strips it really sort of down, down to the basics, doesn't it? And it builds upon, you know, what it mentions, did it, upon Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know, the whole idea that every, you know, every person, every child starts with those those basic needs and then you can build upon that but if you haven't got those needs aren't met then 
it, whatever you do on top of that doesn't doesn't really matter. Like it's not going to have the same impact if those very if those initial initial needs aren't aren't being met. Yeah, I agree. Um, so going back to when I said to you about how myself and my management team had a discussion about this, and we discussed um, how we could implement this as part of our staff. Well-being. So for a while, I've been doing a bit of a staff well-being, just to give some context, um, project of sort of my own thing. So I did one of um, Kate Moxley's courses. Can't for the life remember what it was exactly called. It was something to do with managers um, and well-being. So I will find a link for that. And um, it came with like a workbook that you work through and about sort of how you can make sure that your staff have got, you know, good well-being at work. And when I saw this, I thought this builds upon that. So I was going to try and build these seven needs into, I don't know what I was going to do with them, but we just discussed, do we do that? Do we provide that? And and one of the things we discussed was, you know, um, contribution. And, it, and obviously it says, do I currently feel that my voice and opinions matter and that I am being listened to? And I mean, how many places have you worked where you're, you're not listened to and your feelings and your voice isn't, nobody cares. It's like, you do this and I'm the manager and I say this. Um and I thought that it would be really good if you could take these points, everybody, you know, every manager, or even if you're not a manager, you're a room leader or just a practitioner. Um, I shouldn't say just a practitioner, like you're just a practitioner, you know what I mean. If you feel like you don't lead anyone. Um, I feel like you could take this into what you do at work. So um, thinking about people's voices being heard, something that's had a really, you know, positive impact at my place is having the management meeting or we now are going to introduce a room lead meeting because we find that we have this half an hour where those people who are room leaders feel like they've got this opportunity to just discuss issues and they feel like they're really being listened to because we've taken the time to do that. Yeah, I agree. Like you say, I think, I think, as we've mentioned, you know, well-being of, of everybody is important. And I think that's a big thing It, it is the well-being of staff. So, you know, obviously it's good that you're using that. I think obviously the last, uh, it's always been challenging, hasn't it? But like the last couple of years have been incredibly difficult on, you know, on being, being in, in early years and, and doing it day in, day out and, and trying to contend with the challenges that you're facing at work as, as well as, you know, the challenges everyone's been facing in their personal lives as well and the anxieties and things that come with that so i, th- I think it's a really you know a good idea to embed that and it, like i think like you say these the questions especially that are focused you know on the adults that you've been reading out are really a really good way to help your staff all of all of your staff to feel important and, all, and ultimately the you know uh the, the only way that any setting is going to flourish and any then therefore any children are, are going to is that if everyone is pulling you know in the same direction and if ever, everyone sees and agrees in the way forward and for that everyone's got to feel valued and everyone's got to feel important we you know ultimately yes to some you know it is it is your job and it is you know in one sense just a job but people have got to come in and feel that they are making a difference and that, that they matter because the happier people are and the more you know important that people feel and the more engaged that the yeah. practitioners are. And then... that's when it becomes more than just a job, doesn't it? Exactly. Because you have a yeah. passion and enjoyment and fulfilment. 
yeah, yeah, exactly. I think that 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 idea of building upon that is important, and and to do that, you've got to get people to feel like you say that their views are being listened to and there's you know many different way different ways that you can do that and obviously you, you know you not ever not everyone is always gonna be exactly on the same page but it's about having those conversations isn't it and, and like you say having those meetings to have those open conversations about how yeah how people feel and and how you know, because again, it comes down to you, know, you don't want conflict, do you? You don't want awkward conversation, you know, uncomfortableness and all that because children pick up on that as well. So everywhere, you know, if someone's un- unhappy, then every aspect of of the way that they are will give that vibe off. Yeah, and I'm a sort of person that has really quite high expectations um, within my settings, and I know exactly how I want things done, and I've, you know. A lot of it is based on my own research and my own practices from when I was more base, room-based. So I do feel like it comes from a good place, but I can often be very sort of um, demanding of what I want and not listen to others. And it's something that these seven areas have made me reflect upon myself as a manager. And I would really love it if there's like managers listening to this or leaders listening to this, that they really go and take this on board for their staff because I've done that approach where you sort of be that typical manager where it's like, this is how we do things. I'm going to implement this to the book. And, you know, if that doesn't happen, I'm going to, you know, have you in the office and have a word with you about this and say that you know I don't ever want you to do that again but actually when you just take a step back and you look at these and you think again just using that as the example um you know does this person act like this because they don't feel like their voice is being heard and I've got someone in my mind now when we're talking and that's exactly why that person feels that way because that person's actually voiced that they feel like they're not listened to but I haven't really taken that on board because I'm so hung up on the fact that that person isn't doing x y and z so it is I think it will be for me from like you know the whole project I really like the project. I think that it's a great, you know, in an ideal world, it's, it, it could be wonderful, but it would take a lot of implementing. But if I could take one thing from it right now, just as a practical point, it would be to take the Flourish Model adult questions when you download it, you'll see those, and ask yourself if your staff feel that way. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Like you say, it, it's it's very easy to because you you know you have your own set ideas as as a manager to just be like well you know well I, you know people go and do that that's that's what we do that's how it works that's what i believe it, it is best for whatever reason and and i just expect everybody to to go and do it and to go and follow it and you know i think obviously it, the bigger the setting the harder it is for for practitioners to feel listened to and to feel well you know and to feel that yeah. what they think matters because obviously you know well like anything the more people that are there that's the harder it is to feel like that you know my setting's very small so i would hope my staff feel you know i i am in the room with them every day so obviously i, I don't know whether that whether they get bored of listening to me go on or, or whatever, <laughs> but that I would hope that they feel that when when we're having the conversation about how about something that we're going to do, that they can interject then because they have that opportunity to to do that because I'm in the room and I'm I, and I'm not sort of you know saying it from like you say by a by a fifteen different yeah we are yeah we're all one room so it's a lot easier maybe yeah. for me I'm not I'm not disseminating it via you know via people so I think it uh, but 
So I, I think that maybe some of this already happens in my set. I would hope anyway. I would hope that they feel confident enough to, you know, to challenge me if they don't agree. But I do fully appreciate that, you know, that like you say, the, the bigger the set, and especially even, you know, that this would be a really interesting focus for the bigger chains as well to think about, wouldn't it? You know, that uh, as though the leaders and the area managers and whatever different roles they fulfil in these chains, does everybody within that that high, you know, within the system, within the hierarchy, feel that? That they're being listened to, or or does the does the practitioner feel that they have no chance of actually really having a view that will make any difference to what's happening in that setting because it's actually decided by you know five people on from them. And then obviously you can simplify that by having I obviously have a room leaders meeting where I as the manager sit with the room leaders, but then the room leaders could go away and have a meeting with you know the practitioners within their room. So there is ways of managing it. Um, I obviously am over three settings, so it's very difficult for me to have meetings with every single person. But it could be that I say, right, I expect room leaders to have room meetings every week or every two weeks or whatever it is. Um, And then obviously supervisions are a good time to let people be heard. And again, that's going off if your supervisions are good (laughs) because I've heard mixed reviews on supervisions where some of them are literally just to sit down and somebody tells you what you're doing wrong and others such as the supervision that I do which was actually one that I got from um Kerry Payne is it Kerry Murphy now Kerry Payne can't remember um I know that she got married and then she's gone back to amazing name so I'm sorry that I'm getting confused um that was really sort of in depth and it went through lots of different things. And when we did actually change over to that, the practitioners commented on how much they enjoyed their supervision. So yeah, that's an opportunity to hear someone's voice, but that's if you've obviously got somebody who's listening to you doing your supervision. Yeah, actually, that'd be really interesting. I'd actually like to have a quick look at those supervisions, if that's all right, actually, uh, just while we're on it. Uh, because supervisions are a really hard thing. Like, from my point of view, again, going back, my set is all in one room. So when you're having supervisions, at times it, it's a bit like, well, this is a conversation that that we have daily, you know, because obviously my, my staff have the opportunity to have those conversations with me every day because they see me every day and, then yeah. when you just, you're sitting down and having the you know the half termly supervisions, it can be very much like, well, we're just actually going to go over what what we've already discussed every day, and and it's that whole idea again, like it's a one size fits all thing, isn't it? Every setting has to do, you know, you're expected to do supervisions every half term and whatever, but actually, is it if, if for some settings it's necessary, but for others, is there a you know a more a more efficient way of doing it, but. Yeah, I agree that I'm going off topic there. So um, No, but, yeah. but I do think that that's important because, the, you know, I know we're going off subject from the Flourish model a little bit, but, you know, let's talk about sort of like mental health and, and, and work-life balance and things like that. Some things do seem counterproductive. So for me, supervisions within the setting that I manage probably are a little bit counterproductive because those girls that I work with there do have those opportunities regularly to discuss things with me and we tend to deal with matters as they arise whereas supervisions at the other two settings are great for me because I don't have that same uh, like you know relationship with those the girls that work in the other settings where whereby I'm there all the time for every little need that they have um but like you say 
when it comes to work-life balance, it's like fa- some things are doing finding time to squeeze in a supervision that's not really necessary um, seems very counterproductive and, again, just adds more to the workload. But then again, if they started saying that you didn't have to do supervisions, are there some places that would just be like, they're not needed, you know, you don't have to, so we're not going to bother. It's that balance, isn't it, all the time of like why they obviously make things a requirement. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, the the other sort of issue that I have a little bit with, with it is that if you've got practitioners who aren't the most confident or you've got managers and leaders who aren't the most approachable, do you then have practitioners who for want of a better phrase suffer in silence for six weeks waiting for their next supervision you know which could be of detriment to their mental health or whatever uh, rather than addressing something straight away you know if someone comes in and uh, and you know is is having is struggling I would want them to come to me immediately and have that conversation instead of you know letting yeah. it uh, letting it you know worry them bother them whatever wait and wait four or five weeks to have those conversations but there will be some, I mean, there will be some practitioners in some settings where the, <clears throat> the practitioner won't feel that that's an option. They'll feel that they have to wait for said date in the diary in, in three weeks yeah. to sit down and have that chat. And that's, again, you know, seems to be completely, completely ludicrous. Yeah. And then it's really hard because when I have, when we have these discussions, I'm obviously I'm a manager now and I have my manager's head on for some of it. And then I also have my practitioner head on because, you know, it wasn't so long ago that I wasn't the manager and that I was a practitioner um, within a room um, and I didn't have like a huge say over everything. Um, So from like the manager's point of view, I feel like I have to put boundaries in place with the staff because otherwise they become very much a drain on on my mental health and my mood. Because if you've constantly got people coming, like you say, you're from a smaller setting, I'm from a setting yeah. where you know there's 15 plus people. If you've got 15 plus people coming to you every day with tiny little things, it's like I can't do anything else other than sort of like be drained by all of your like little moans right not talking about if somebody comes to me with something really important or serious I would of course make the time but I have do find that I have to put boundaries in place and sometimes I just say today I'm not available for you um and that does make me feel guilty in the sense that I think what if somebody's really got something they need to ask me and now they're worried that they can't so for example like you know the deputy or the room leaders most of them would just come to me anyway and be like I know you're not available today but this is important but there might be like you know apprentices that think I can't go and ask Laura anything because she'll you know have a go at me because she's told us we're not allowed but at the same time I can't have people coming to me every second of every day telling me you know little tiny things does that make sense yeah it doesn't like you say it's that balance isn't it because obviously the size of your setting and the amount of staff that that you have are completely different to me so obviously the the way that 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 works is different but then I think like you say it, it then goes down to the room leaders then doesn't it and you know that responsibility being for the for the room leader to ensure that if there's any staff in their uh, in their room that that've got anything that they feel that they can approach them to do you know to deal with that and to get that support and then that's when it comes down to these questions and and, and ensuring that these are embedded on a on a granular level rather than necessarily on a you know on a setting wide level yeah and i was also just on that subject um reading about toxic positivity um about you know how it 
we shouldn't always be positive if that's not the way we're feeling because then that becomes toxic because you need to like deal with your emotions and whatnot but equally I am very I think that I've probably I'm toxic positivity in a person <laughs> because if I get up in, and I think I feel absolutely exhausted and I've got nothing left in me, I think to myself, right, get up, get yourself dressed, put some makeup on, which I don't always do for work, but when I'm feeling particularly down, I put make, more makeup on because it makes me feel better. So, and then I think, right, you've got to have this positive attitude because positivity will like see me through the day and then when somebody comes in and they're like first thing they do is say like oh I've been up all night couldn't sleep I'm like oh you're such a Debbie Downer like I don't know it really affects my mood you know and this is what I mean about those boundaries at work where I have to say I don't care if you had a bad night's sleep like I wouldn't say it to him but you know when you just think you're just ruining my whole life today it's really hard I think finding that balance because obviously different people thrive off different different things and for me being overly positive when I don't feel it I'm not saying like when I feel really sad I start like making myself feel happy but you know if you're just having one of them mornings where you think I just can't be bothered with life today like I'm tired I can't be bothered I do find that making myself feel positive and trying to be positive helps yeah no I get that toxic positivity yeah it does yeah um, the people who are always you know always happy and always see like the the joy and everything do sort of like <laughs> you know great on me a little bit because life is like that and sometimes like you say you do have days where you're like nah today's just horrendous like this is just just needs to be over but then and you always have that one person who's like, oh well but it could be whatever you know it could be like great okay great fine if you want to think like that that's fine but I but yeah I, I do get where you're coming from in terms of you, you know you do at times need to need to be positive because otherwise you know although like you know you, the whole thing you'll laugh or you'll cry like that that whole idea but yeah and, and i do get that but it's again it's trying to find like everything it's trying to find that balance isn't it it's trying to find where where you could sit between the two and what what makes you happy and just being being you like if you are really that positive person who sees the absolute good in every single situation, no matter how horrendous, well, that is absolutely fine for you, and you crack on with that. But I don't think, you know, that's not going to work for everyone, is it? No, but also, don't you think some people have got toxic negativity? Is that a thing? Uh, well, it is, it is now, you just coined the phrase. Um... Because, like, some people, it's like, everything's negative, and I just think, I can't, I feel like when you work in an environment with a lot of children, a lot of people, like you say, it's about that balance. I am going off tangent here, but I'm not flourishing when people come in and tell me how bad the night sleep's been, or I don't know if they want me to like, you know, mother them. I don't really know, but I just don't feel like I'm flourishing in that environment. Yeah, it's also not overly, you know, not overly relevant, is it? Like, you know, you, uh, to know uh, everyone who comes in. But everyone, you know, unfortunately, there are people like that, aren't you? I can think of many people over, you know, who I've worked with over the years who will share every every little detail coming and start, first thing they start telling you is they've fallen out with the person who lives three doors down because they blocked the road or whatever. <laughs> like, great, but I haven't got time today. You know, I haven't got time to spend half an hour talking about why you don't like that person. That That's not got no relevance, but um, then it's got no relevance but then 
do you feel like sometimes as a manager, if somebody comes in with something like that, you know, and, it, and it's, they fell out with the neighbour three doors down because of a parking space, that's literally me, you know, because I live in a terrace house. So literally, <laughs> I'm so nice to my neighbours, but secretly I am like, that stupid cow has parked outside my house again. Anyway, say that's really <laughs> stressing somebody out. Um should you deal with it because you know it's part of your role as the manager and making sure your staff are you know you know happy and whatnot because obviously there was that Ofsted thing that guidance they've withdrawn it haven't they not guidance yeah 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 where you have to report things obviously you're not going to report that they've had none for the neighbor (laughs) but you know if that's really impacting them have you got to take it seriously I feel like you know I don't know well, considering that Ofsted guidance said that you it wasn't the words you have to you know, like emotional distress or emotional issues or whatever, then I don't really know if they did want you to report if someone's had an argument with next door. To be fair, it didn't really seem to draw the line anywhere at what you didn't have to tell them, did it? Um, but that's a, again, that's a separate conversation. Um, yeah, it is. It's hard. Yeah, because obviously, if someone is is wants to talk about something, like you say, where 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 is where's the line? Where where are we like? Okay, well, what how can we do to help? What could, but again, it seems ridiculous to say what can I do to help that because you can't beyond going and talking to the neighbour. There's not <laughs> a great deal you can do, is there? Like, and it's like, okay, yeah, that, that's grim. Sorry about that. Do you want a coffee? And, and I think it's trying to. I, yeah, I don't really know what what you can what you can do, and it is but just that could be in all seriousness. Like I'm making a laugh and a joke, and I, and I shouldn't. But this is a fake scenario. Obviously, it's not somebody yeah. we, somebody's actually coming with that, but. <laughs> In all seriousness, you know, that could really impact someone's mental health. You know, if they've got this neighbour who's, like, horrendous, um, that could give somebody anxiety or depression. So, obviously, then it does become a really serious subject. So, yeah, it's finding that balance. I know that's what we keep saying, and then I keep bringing more stuff up, and we just keep going back to the balance thing. But it's just, when we have these conversations, it's just, like, my train of thought. Sorry for just, Mm -hmm. you know. I feel like I just go blurt on this podcast. <laughs> you try and keep me in line. But I, like I say, I, I think it, it's, you know, hey, that's what happens. This is for us just to end, end up randomly talking about a hypothetical neighbour that we may or may not actually have. Um, in all but, fairness, yeah. though, talking about this, you, I suppose there are steps you can take. So I'm saying that, like, you know, I, get, I do get a bit sick of and, like, the apprentices at my setting, they live at home with the parents. They don't have any kids and they come in and tell me they're tired. And I literally feel like saying, you don't know what tired is. You do not know what tired is. But we've all been there, haven't we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, we have. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but we all have. Yeah, yeah. I, I I, I relate to what you're saying. You know what I mean when you think I have been up all night with two yeah. two-year-olds with a sickness bug and you're tired <laughs> and your mum cooked your tea for you last night. <laughs> you know what I mean? Sometimes I literally, the the apprentices that I've got, you know, a good relationship with who can take a bit of a joke, sometimes I'm like, don't even tell me you're tired. You're not allowed <laughs> to be tired. But, Read the um, room, guys. <laughs> oh, and the- Things like him, um, I didn't get time to do my work for this, and it's like, what you work four days a week, you've got no responsibilities anyway. I'm only joking, but you know, 
like that scenario we used to get like a lot of people would come in and be like oh i'm tired i got up late didn't have time do this that or the other so like something that we did is we in the staff room we then put like a box of like cereals and porridges and you know like um, cereal bars and things like that and there would also be things like bubbles and some like you know deodorant and little you know a brush and a few things like that so that if somebody did have an absolute nightmare morning like there would be a space for them to go and they could just sort themselves out and just make themselves a little bit of breakfast before they start work so there are always you know that's only a very basic thing but it's I suppose goes back to that hierarchy of needs like basic things like that are really important so i suppose when people are doing these little moany things and you think i don't care you can always put little steps in place that do help that's yeah yeah exactly yeah like obviously my, my setting again is only one room and we don't have we share the staffing with the school so we don't really have our what would you would class as our own staff space yeah because obviously you know the the staff room in the school it is that so and uh, we've been trying to think of, and I've been trying to think of ways that, you know, that we, we can support it. And, and one thing we did, like you say, it's only small, but we got a coffee machine for the kitchen, you know, just to try and help people, you know, so that because, it, it you know, it, you don't get a lot of joy, do you, and other perks some days, like some days are along slog, aren't they? It's just, you know, it, it, even for some yeah. people going, going and like, say, getting biscuits out of the cupboard or making themselves a, you know, a nice coffee and just getting that five minutes can, can help people's well-being and just help them to do it. And every setting can do things and, and every manager at every room can do things. And it's just trying to, to remember that actually how your staff feel does matter. Obviously, there's only so much you can do about it and there's only so much impact you can have. But it does matter, and yeah, because we're it, not it robots. ultimately it matters because of the effect it has on the children, doesn't it? If you've got yeah. staff who are flourishing, they are, you know the children are flourishing. But if you've got staff who are you know tired and and they don't feel supported and they don't feel fulfilled in the roles, then you're going to have children who don't feel supported or fulfilled because nobody's doing anything for them. So sometimes. Again, and I think this is a process you learn and you've probably been there where sometimes you go super strict as a manager and, you know, say things like you're always all messing around. So you're not allowed any cups of tea in the day. Like we can have a cup of tea at my setting in the day virtually whenever we want, because there's a kitchen. There's two kitchens within the within over the three rooms. So you can go and make yourself a drink and you can still see the children behind the gate. Mm-hmm. Um, feel like I'm explaining this in case somebody comes at me and is like, you mm-hmm. know. How dare you do that? That's against, you know, the law. Um, so we can have a cup of tea whenever we want. But obviously what happens is sometimes it gets a little bit out of hand where the same person's always having a cup of tea. And, you know, people feel like... So I've gone strict and been like, no one's allowed a cup of tea. But then actually all that does is impacts everyone when really, you know, does it hurt if every now and then somebody's having a five minute breather from the children to have a cup of tea? Because I don't actually think it does. They're not going and having the cup of tea, you know, in a different room. But I think that like, you know, there's just from working across three settings that some don't allow the staff to eat in the rooms and then all the settings do and there is a bit there is a balance again everything's a bloody balance in the early years isn't it i'm sick of that word can we just have a cut and dry you know this is what you do um but it doesn't hurt to let somebody have a cereal bar in the afternoon if they're really hungry but some managers will say you know you're at work that's our time 
Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Like I said, I, I've seen both sides of it. You know, I've seen both sides of it done really. And, and you know, again, for anyone listening, our, our kitchen is in our room. So when anyone goes to you know Boba Kettle or whatever, they are still in the room and can see absolutely everybody because we don't have a separate room. Um, but yeah, I, I think it doesn't hurt. Like you know, ultimately life's too short. It doesn't matter, does it? You know, if someone is you know wants a banana because they're a bit hungry or or, or whatever. <laughs> Obviously, as long as they do it in a safe way and the children are still safe. You know, like you say they're not going to sit in the car for half an hour. When as long as it's in in a safe safe way yeah, yeah. and managed, then does it really matter? And I'm very much like I don't really think it does. Like ultimately, it, it you know life is is too short to be like oh no you can't you know well what you want to eat? I'm oh, joking, aren't you? Between the, <laughs> between these hours, you 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 don't get to do that. You know, like if one of the children came up and was like you know I'm really I'm really you know oh, I'm really hungry. Can I have a piece of fruit? You're not going to be like oh what at two o'clock? I, say, I don't think so. You can wait till does it look like break. snack time, Tommy? <laughs> <laughs> Well, you say this, you know, it is just—it doesn't matter, uh, does it? And it, but I also get it because it's hard because you, there's always somebody who pushes it. Yeah, as far as you can possibly get it, can't they? The yeah, yeah, and and it's trying. I suppose it's trying to do that, but then that relies on the people in the room. You know, not just the room leader, but the people in the room also be. You know, I think do, that you create working a together within your yeah, room, and exactly. if your culture, like when we have dinners. I'm not like I don't micromanage people so like obviously start hearing that you know such and such buddy had an extra 15 minutes on their dinner the other day and then next thing a person in their room will say well they've had extra 15 minutes so I'm having extra 15 minutes and then it becomes a cycle whereas in other rooms the culture is we're all working together and it's their break now and I need to go back I think that you know Going back to the flourish model, obviously it brings up things like this because it says something about um, feeling like you contribute to other people's well-being. So I think that's a good thing to talk to. You know, like when you have staff meetings and sometimes it can be very negative, like, you know, I'm making the mick having extra 15 minutes, stop it. You could approach it from, you know, think about your colleague who's in that room waiting to go on their dinner and, you know, it's their time and you... You're contributing to each other's well-being, so yeah. So like yeah. Say, it's that it's that idea of the collective, isn't it? You know, the whole thing of you know, like why why you know, in a polite way, why do you why do you think you're entitled to fifteen minutes, but your you know your colleague isn't? You know, what's all that about? And and it's, yeah. it's, it's trying to breed that cult that that culture, that whole idea of what you know, the team aspect that we're all in this together, and that you know. It all this only works in any workplace, in any environment, and anything only works if everybody works together to ensure that everybody is happy and everyone supports each other. But I suppose, obviously, that's a very idealistic way of looking at it, isn't it? Not everyone sort of sort of sees but, it like that, do they? I know what you're saying, and like I said, I think that this Flourish project is. A- it's also got some really good points that I think we just overlook because we're so busy. So. I think that, you know, I'm going to take this away and I'm going to work on it from a staff point of view first and I'm going to think about what we can do. You know, maybe if there's enough interest, when we've taken this and done something with it, we could have a revisit this as another podcast episode of what we with this. Yeah. With yeah, the yeah, right, yeah. Um, yeah. Do you ever feel 
when we do a podcast, it starts off very formal and then it just turns into a bit of chaos near the end. I think that's pretty much how everyone goes, isn't it? We start, we do it like follow, you know, like for anyone listening now, we do have, you know, we do actually sometimes have some notes that, that, that we start to follow. Um, just as, And yeah, we start off there and then we suddenly just like end up completely somewhere else. And we have not looked in for about half an hour uh, um, because we just, yeah, it just, it, it follows a pattern like it would if we were just, you know, sat having a chat, doesn't it? Yeah. Which is essentially what we're doing. I mean, you know, you do try and keep with a few like you know with a topic but we've ended up talking about 10 topics now so I'm not sure what's going on but you know it was all along the same lines of well-being yeah it's all it's all about uh, the uh, flourishing isn't it yes (laughs) so um do you have anything else you want to say on this subject before we move recommendations uh no I don't think so no no like I said I think it would be something that would be interesting to you know, to revisit a little bit further down the line and see how we've embedded in our setting, both with staff and also whether, you know, we, we've done anything in our curriculum about, with it as well. And where did you say you heard about it from? Sorry. So I found it, the Montessori Europe uh, have done a guide on the UN Sustainable Goals. Oh, um, yeah, and how you can, like just activity ideas of, of how you can do that in early years. And it was partnered with this and that's why I came across it. And that that guide, incidentally, is definitely worth having a look at. Um, obviously, the sustainable goals. That. Yeah, the sustainable goals are something that, you know, I don't know what, you know, it, it doesn't seem massive in nurseries. I don't come across that many nurseries who cover it, but I've been looking around, terrifyingly looking around schools recently for my little girl who starts school in September, which is terrifying. But most of the schools that I've looked at seem to, you know, cover quite quite a lot of the sustainable goals and really try and embed it in their curriculum. Well, I'll have a look at that. We'll have to link that in the show notes as well as yes. episodes that we've we've talked about. Um, do you have any recommendations? Um, outside of this, something that I will recommend, something I posted on Instagram the other day, and I'm sure you've probably seen, is it's coming up to Lunar New Year, and uh, Be Seen have done a brilliant guide on Lunar New Year and how you can support, in, you know, to, uh, teaching children about that in early years in a culturally appropriate and sensitive way so uh, i'll link that to them but it is is on instagram as well yes that was going to be uh, my one of my recommendations as well so i back that i did print it off and have a good look through and i learned to lot myself because i always thought that those puppets that dance were dragons and they're actually lions i didn't know if you know that Yes, yeah, yeah. I've I learned that myself when I, when I was reading it. I didn't realise that I was the same as you. I thought it was a, uh, a dragon so, too. Ignorant I am. Yeah. Um, as always. So um, <laughs> definitely, yeah, I would recommend because it was really interesting, actually. I learned a lot from it and it makes me realise how much I need to put extra thought into when we practice different holidays and things. Um, but I don't have any other recommendations because, to be honest, I have around this and I haven't really been doing anything else other than, you know, surviving January. So it's been lovely chatting and um, hopefully we'll see everyone in our next episode. Yeah. Bye. Bye, Adam. <laughs>